All right, everybody, we're back. And this time we actually watched the movie. Yeah, I watched it with you from beginning to end. Yeah, uh, well, not really. You fell asleep through portions yeah. of it. Yeah, at the, at the end, I just I couldn't keep my eyes open. Well, the good news is there's some surprise in it for you going into this. <laughs> yeah. But before we jump into James Bond uh, proper, uh, what you've been watching or doing or enjoying <laughs> this week? What are some of your favorite things from the week? Oh, so I um. I started watching um, Call the Midwife uh-huh. when I finished with uh, Good Witch. Yeah. So I went through, I watched all the Good Witch movies. Yeah. And so now I'm thinking, should I go back and rewatch Good Witch? I might do that closer to release of the next season. Mm-hmm. So I started watching Call the Midwife, which has been really good. I had no idea what to expect, what it was about. Mm-hmm. And uh, last night I um, was binge watching it until two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like it's like a good book. You get to the end of the chapter and you know you need to put it down and go to bed. But you just let the next chapter just come and you keep reading. And that's what I felt like last night. It was just like, okay, one more, just one more, one more episode. <laughs> okay. So for someone who's too lazy to pull up Netflix right now <laughs> and, and take a look at this show... Uh, give us a quick elevator pitch of it. What's the tone like? What's what's the general feel of an episode? Hmm. What's what is this show? So it's about a um, midwifery nunnery clinic um, in England in the late 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just now starting to set up where they have what they call maternity. Um, it's not. It's like maternity hospitals. It's like just, it's not even a real hospital. It's just a place for women to go yeah. have babies. But but still, most women have babies at home. And so it's just this feel, um, <clears throat> there's no such thing as birth control. It's actually the one of the episodes I watched last night, they kind of dealt with that, that um, in order to get any form of birth control, it's very expensive. And, you know, they work in a very poor community. And um, they even dealt with a woman... Um, Last night, it was a heavy... Some of the episodes are pretty heavy and where she went and illegally got an abortion and it almost killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of that, like, it was her ninth pregnancy, her ninth child, and yeah. she just... They were they were poor. They could not support another child. And just the, the heartache of just trying to deal with that and the, the nurse, the midwife, having to deal with that, trying realizing what's happening and trying to talk her out of it and, you know... Still, she still ended up jumping in to save her life in the end. But, um, yeah. but no, it's just about these midwives and just the day-to-day thing of um, whether it's single moms or just moms with. The, in the very first episode, there was a woman. This was her 24th child. Yeah. Um, and it's just like it's it was the norm. Big families, they just happen because it's just, you know. They don't just, have Netflix. They don't, <laughs> they don't have Netflix. Yeah. But... You know, it's just a day-to-day life in a in an area that's you know people live day to day. They paycheck to paycheck if they get a paycheck, and mm-hmm. you know, and just the stories of these nuns. It's based not nuns, nurses. Um, they live with nuns. It's just the um, it's based on true true stories of this mm-hmm. one uh, Jenny nurse Jenny Lee, mm-hmm. um, and just her her stories from that. And it's just been like very 
intriguing. Like some so, episodes are a lot heavier than others. So what is it that draws you back? I hear this and I'm immediately like, ooh, this sounds a little heavy, especially in the light of we live in a world that's turbulent enough in yeah. reality. So for for entertainment purposes, what what is it that draws you into it? What what mm -hmm. grabs you and says, hey, not only do you want to watch one episode of this, you want to keep watching yeah. episodes of this. Well, I think it's just the stories going in. It's the stories of the lives of these these nurses, especially like like I said, it's this one nurse, Jenny Lee, who's telling the stories, and then she each episode focuses on a different nurse or nun, mm -hmm. and it's just it's just their stories. Yeah, they go out life is hard in it, but it's just it's their stories, their individual stories, and it's what makes them happy in this life you know when they when they see the bad but they still find the good mm -hmm. and um you know from the very beginning well i don't know that i want to ruin anybody thing if anybody else was, wants to watch it but there's this this one girl at the beginning of the show that's one of the main characters that um i kind of called that she's gonna marry somebody yeah and uh and she like last night i got through to where she finally did but it took a lot to get her there because of what she thought her call in life was. Yes. So, but it was a very sweet story on how she realized that God had called her in a different direction, you yeah. know? So it's just, it's just very interesting, you know, cause I mean, it is, they work in a nunnery. Yeah. So they're working with nuns. So you got the religious aspect of it along with, um, just, you know, it's a secular world. These girls come from, these mm -hmm. nurses come from, so they're not, these, these girls aren't necessarily religious. They just try to figure out day to day, but I don't know. It's just so intriguing. And it's just that, I guess it's that time period where as I watch it, I'm like, man, I look at it to me and I'm like, people talk about the good old days or simpler times. I'm like, this doesn't feel like it'd be simpler times. This yes. feels like it'd be very hard to live. Yeah. Almost, almost dark ages comparatively. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, um, whenever, uh, whenever the nurses are called that, um, you know, a husband or neighbor or mother calls to say, Oh, they're in labor. Um, it's always a payphone on the corner. Nobody has phones on their house. Most yes. most nobody has a phone in their house. It's they have to run to the payphone on the corner. I don't even know if it's a payphone or if it's just a community phone. I don't know. I, but they they have to run to that to call and say, hey, you know, we need we need the midwife. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just interesting. Excuse it's just it's just interesting. It's been very. Very captivating. It's written very well, and mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of like stories from books that you know, not necessarily the dark parts of it that I'm used to in books, but just the. It kind of reminds me of some of the books that I've read in the past that just consume me. That I'm just like, I've got to finish this book, and you know, it keeps going. <laughs> and before I know it, it's two o'clock in the morning. Yep. <laughs> anyway, it's really good. <laughs> it's all right. Any other favorite things captured you recently? Um, Let's see here. Oh no, I feel like I made a really good dinner last night that was like probably one of the best things I've made in a no, while. No, that was really good. <laughs> I think it, it's one of the best things you think I've made in a while. Yeah, chicken with cream sauce, uh, broccoli, uh -huh. and you had uh, rice and white rice. It was phenomenal. It was yeah. great. It hit the spot. Yeah, but I don't know, I'm trying to think of what else. Well, I had my birthday last week. Yes. So, and that was probably one of my favorite things from last week. Was, oh, well, I'm glad to hear it. Yes, was uh, the party through me and just everyone who got to come out and yeah. help. It was amazing. Yep, it was I nice. Am, I am no longer in my 30s, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't have to volunteer that, but I, I appreciate it. I am not ashamed of my age. 
Uh, that's all right. I feel, I, I feel like I have not done enough with my years on this planet, so I, I am semi ashamed of my years. So, no, that's good. I'm really glad. Uh, so for me, probably the biggest things have been, uh, honestly, not necessarily consuming anything, but I've been trying to take hikes through my city uh, every day. Um, I try to do between three and a half and six miles every day, um, sometimes more, um, sometimes less, but just trying to get around my city and see things I haven't seen. Um, for a long time, when it comes to video games, one of the things I enjoy, uh, especially in open world video games, is finding the new path, finding the new thing, finding a site you haven't seen, and applying that to the real world. Um, it's come to my attention over the past three months, especially as quarantine has kind of slowed things down, that I have a well-worn path mm -hmm. and pattern and I always go to the same places and usually it's driving. And when you see the same three spots over and over again, um, you can kind of become dead to the world around you. Mm -hmm. And so since quarantine began and there's not distraction places to go to, yeah. like go to the movies, go, um, go hang out at this spot with friends for coffee. Um, I've been trying to find ways to experience my world and maybe broaden my horizons a bit. And so one of the things I started doing was just walking around the city and finding different places. I I'm surprised how far I can go. Uh, four or six miles might not seem a lot, but when you're on foot in a city where everything is more compact, um, six miles will get you most anywhere you want to go yeah. unless you're in greater Los Angeles. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, San Francisco is like seven miles straight across. Uh, our city, I, I've walked now, we live on the south side of Columbia. I've walked to the north side of Columbia once now, and that's only there and back about five and a half miles. Yeah. So it's, it's not bad at all, but yesterday I walked to a side of town I've never been to uh, and saw beautiful, beautiful houses um, up on a hill, and it's fantastic. There are homes all around us that were built as far back as, there are a couple that were built back in the 1800s, wow. but there are some that were built in the 1900s that uh, they've got historic uh, status, they've got plates out in front of them, mm -hmm. but there's just a phenomenal amount to see and it's within walking distance. And I love that. I love being able to experience my city like that. Yeah. So even if you don't live in my town, if you don't live in Columbia, if you live in a city, our cat's coughing. If, <laughs> if you live in a city, uh, put on some good walking shoes and just walk. Uh, find a, a good area to, to walk. If you live outside of a city and, and you're not living in an area that maybe has sidewalks and stuff, drive to the outskirts of the city, find a place that's either cheap or free to park and walk and see what you find. See who you find. You're going to run into some neat, interesting people and nice. 
Um, it wasn't on the vent. That's good. Um, but you're gonna you're gonna experience some really awesome stuff. Uh, one thing I have enjoyed uh, consuming outside of stuff we were already we've already talked about. Um, uh, West Wing, Once Upon a Time, which I'm still enjoying, um, is Sam uh, the Cooking Guy uh, on yes. YouTube. Um, this guy is very entertaining. Uh, he lives out in San Diego. Amazing, amazing, amazing uh, cooking videos. Um, watching him, I'm reminded of what I used to enjoy about the Food Network. Um, I really don't like reality television, and Food Network has kind of leaned that way in recent years to a point that it just it wasn't entertaining to me anymore. Yeah. Um, and so uh, watching Sam the Cooking Guy has been phenomenal, and I really, really enjoy his videos. Yeah. Not, not only are they informative, and he usually cooks something that I want as soon as the video is over. I mean, yesterday I didn't even want to make the dinner that ended up being phenomenal after we yes. watched him make the bacon jam yeah but it he finds a way to make it entertaining and i believe uh i believe it's his son is his video producer yeah and uh they have a good uh back and forth uh on camera but yeah. uh highly recommend if you're on youtube you're looking for something to watch uh check that out we're gonna take just a moment to clean up because our cat just got sick and then we'll be <laughs> back uh with our latest james bond movie you only live twice all right we're back uh gonna be talking about you only live twice i've got my you only notes twice um <laughs> which is a lie because i noted several times um <laughs> So, uh, before getting into any details, what'd you think? It wasn't the worst one. That's a good note. That's yeah. a very good <laughs> like, note. Like, I, I think I followed it for what I could, like, I, like we said, I, I did kind of fall asleep during it, but, um, it was a little strange, some of the mm -hmm. space stuff and how they did it, especially for the time, but. Yes. Um. This is pre-moon landing and. Yeah. We, we still have admittedly not as much knowledge about space as we'd like to have but we have significantly more now than we had then and that to to the point where it seems quaint now yeah but i mean there's some strange cheesy aspects of that and it's like okay it looks it seemed totally fake to me but that's because i'm in a modern time looking back so so that's interesting that you say that because there's a lot about and I'd assume you're specifically talking about the beginning. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot about the beginning that really works. And I'll talk about that in yeah. a minute. But uh, for me. Okay. But um, I feel like this James Bond movie, this is the first Sean Connery James Bond movie I saw all the way through. Mm -hmm. I'd, seen, I'd seen bits and pieces of other ones uh, on TBS growing up and... This was the first one that I was like, I want to watch a James Bond movie. This was going to be on and watch from beginning to end. Uh, I was a little young to understand most of the sex stuff. Yeah. I just understood uh, pretty ladies getting to bed with James Bond. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, 
this one is to me one of the most entertaining so far the sean connery ones yeah um it's also probably the biggest and most bombastic of them um and i'll I told you earlier, but the end set piece, the volcano layer in this movie itself cost as much as the entire first James Bond movie. This, this it's whole, an impressive set. Oh, it's like. phenomenal. And that's Ken Adam. Ken Adam designed sets that are big echo chamber. Just they're almost pieces of art unto themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you think of a stereotypical villain layer um think of the movie the incredibles and wouldn't the layer from this be right at home in the incredibles i'm trying to picture the layer from the incredibles volcano layer mm-hmm. syndrome <laughs> like it it would fit yeah uh it and uh little note uh, the incredibles actually steals a lot of design ideas from old James Bond movies. Oh, interesting. Uh, the musical styles that Michael Giacchino uses in that uh, in that film are actually uh, riffs on James Bond uh, musical themes to the point that the theme for The Incredibles is actually a swipe, slight twist on our next movie, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Huh. That's an interesting fact. All right, so we'll get into it. Uh, The movie starts as all good movies should start in space. Um, The Jupiter 16, uh, what happened to Jupiter's 1 through 15, I don't know. Although Jupiter 2, unfortunately, was lost in space. Um, That's a lost in space joke. Um, As the mission control operators are calling out, they call that they're calling from Houston. Okay. (laughs) Houston. Houston, where's Houston? Houston, uh, Texas, which means that either these people <laughs> have never been to Texas uh, or are aware of Houston, uh, or uh, they are, in fact, from the planet Krypton, uh, which is where Zip General Zod will talk about uh, he is about to rule the whole planet Houston. Uh, that is a Superman 2 joke. All right. Um so, uh, Jupiter 16 is up in space. A ship comes out of nowhere and kidnaps the capsule. Um, there is an astronaut who is out on the EVA, and as the clamp on the unknown spacecraft closes around the Jupiter 16, the lifeline is cut and the astronaut is killed. Mm. So, this scene really works for me because it builds tension yeah. uh, really well. And even though it the movement in space is a little slower. Um, most older movies, when they talk about movement in space, everything is slow because they think about it like you would move underwater. You move yeah. slower be- um, because you're in a, a low gravity environment. Um, and a lot of older movies that you'll see, space is extremely slow. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it is, in other ways it's not. Um, because there's no friction, you right. will actually move much quicker if you initiate movement. Yeah. Um, little science there. Um, but anyhow, uh, this scene just worked for me. Uh, it actually sets uh, tension really high. Um, immediately, you've got a death. 
Um, and shortly after this, uh, we have a meeting of the nations where uh, the Americans are accusing the Russians of interfering. The Russians are telling the Americans that they're dumb. And the British, in the meantime, are kind of the, the mediators. And they're saying, hey, everybody, we've got someone on this. He's on the job in Hong Kong right now. And we go over to where oh, Sean Connery is not only going to be sexist, but racist. <laughs> with the line, why do Chinese girls taste different than every other girl? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then it's, he compared it to the difference between Peking duck and uh, what was the other thing? Filet mignon. Filet something. It. It oh, was caviar. Caviar. It it was something just. It was like oh, I realize I'm being kind of racist, really racist, and so I'm going to try to be a little bit better and still somehow come off racist. Yeah. So it's it's not great, guys. Uh, as I've said before, just be better. Um. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, right after this. Uh. Sean Connery is trapped in a folding bed. Just don't get into what are they called again? Oh, I don't even remember. The someone is screaming at their phone right now because you know what the beds are that fold up into the wall. Um, I am too lazy right now to search it, so <laughs> figure it out. You know what they are. Anyhow, you've seen them in every cartoon or three stooges short. Yeah. Uh, if there is a bed that folds onto the wall, uh, sleep on the floor. Um, but James Bond <laughs> is caught in that. A bunch of gunmen come in, shoot up the bed. Uh, the police immediately come in, pull the bed down, and James Bond is dead. End of movie. Except it's not. Um, it's like five minutes into it. <laughs> Yes, uh, it was a short film called yeah. The Death of James Bond. Except it wasn't. It was that a, should have been the name of the movie. Well, actually, I think we get a pretty good title for this one. I actually this, like yeah. this one. All right. Um, so uh, at this point, one of the police officers said, uh, it's funny that he would die on the job and he would always want it that way. Uh, for those of you not in the know, on the job is a British slang for having sex. Aha, uh -huh. again, we're so clever. Anyhow, moving on, we now move into one of my favorite James Bond theme songs. Uh, you heard the opening uh, melody of that in the opening of the show. Uh, you Only Live Twice, sang by Nancy Sinatra. This is in 1967. This is right after her uh, putting out the iconic song, These Boots Were Made For Walking. Uh, it was a hit. And yet, coming in to do this film, which was one of the biggest films of the year, she was obscenely nervous, mm -hmm. uh, or, or so the story goes. Um, and she was just, like, shaking while she was recording. Apparently, it took a few takes uh, to get through it. Um, but anyhow, uh, as we move out of the imagery of volcanoes um, and... You Only Live Twice with just an amazing arrangement by John Barry. Uh, we are now on a boat uh, where uh, we see James Bond's obituary and uh, burial at sea. Uh, fun note here, watching this as a child and not understanding how burials at sea work, uh, I thought that they made a mistake moving James Bond's body and it accidentally slipped out. <laughs> and I remember saying, oh no, uh, as he slips off the boat. But that's how burials at sea work. Yeah. So, uh, 
James Bond is grabbed by divers. Uh, his body, we assume, uh, is grabbed by divers and taken to a submarine base. Um, at this point, the body bag is unzipped. Uh, we find out he is he has a breathing mask, and uh, he is not only in a body bag, but he is in his dress uniform. Uh, I really enjoy the scenes where James Bond is in a dress uniform because come to find out, hey, MI6 isn't just some weird spy organization. They are actually a part of the British hierarchy. And he is a military commander, a naval commander. Yeah. Uh, I guess for burial, they would put you in your best uniform for burial. So they had to make yeah, it Yeah, but typ <laughs> typically not a breath tube. Right. Typically not a They snuck that breath. in when nobody was yes. looking. So at this point, Bond goes into the meeting with M. We find out that the whole reason the uh, faking of his death occurred was to lower his profile. Over the previous four movies, his profile has gotten a little larger, a little larger, a little larger, uh, to the point where he needs to be a little bit lower profile. Not that he is going to stay low profile, as you will learn through the rest of this movie, because he's James Bond and subtlety really isn't something he does well. Um, let's see here. We find out also during this meeting that the spacecraft that captured the American uh, Jupiter 16 originated from Japan, and that's where it set down. James Bond is given his code phrase, I love you, uh, which he will speak and receive from agents who are friendly in Japan. Uh, on his way out the door, uh, Money Penny tosses him a book called Instant Japanese. Instant Japanese. For one of the most complex languages on the planet, yeah. he is tossed a book that is smaller than a Gideon New Testament, uh, like it is a pack of ramen noodles that he will be able to instantly get around Japan without issue. Yeah, interesting. That's a. Uh, I mean, what do they expect? Is there something in there that he just like sticks in his ear or something and makes him speak it? Or so. <laughs> So he tosses the book back, noting that he uh, that he took languages at Cambridge, which excuses how he will be able to understand everything that is said to him over the next two hours. Ah. Uh, at this point in the movie, I noted uh, that John Barry's score in this film is perfect. Um, there's some of it that might come off as stereotypical, seeing as it takes place in an Eastern country. Um, but I personally, and I'm a white person saying this, so if any offense is taken, I'm sorry. Um, but I enjoy this score. Um, we then are introduced to sumo wrestling, and it is violent. Um, it basically, imagine two NFL linemen uh, lined up against each other, uh, except they're naked, except for a loincloth. Yeah. And the goal is to knock the opponent out of the circle in which you are standing and it is rough there is slapping there is hitting there is there is just full contact but no pads it is uh it's impressive and horrifying uh to yes. watch um at this point we meet the woman who will we will come to know as aki um who is a contact for mr henderson uh, that is not Mr. Henderson from Harry and the Henderson. Uh, this is the most British man in the movie. Um, we, at this point, see uh, the featured car of the film, which is a Toyota 2000 GT. Uh, 
but it is not an ordinary Toyota 2000 GT. Uh, it is a Toyota 2000 GT of which only two exist. Oh, really? Yes. So I told you this while we were watching mm -hmm. the movie, but uh, this car is not a convertible in real life. Yeah, but it looks like a convertible. So for the <laughs> film, uh, because Sean Connery was 6'2", this is built for someone who is not 6'2", um, they realized that they were going to have trouble filming Sean Connery in this vehicle. So uh, they had two custom Toyota 2000 GTs made uh, with the roof removed and they did some retrofitting around the edge to make it look like it had the slot for a convertible uh, roof to, to go on to the car. Uh, no convert convertible actually exists, it just looks like it Yeah, does. that was interesting. Because yeah, it didn't look like the roof was cut off, it looked like it was a natural made. Uh, also at this convertible. point, uh, you will note that uh, Sean Connery is a foot and a half taller than everyone else in any scene in which he shares. Yeah. Um, this will come into play later, I promise. Um, so, uh, I note that Mr. Henderson is so British, uh, and he has apparently been working in Tokyo for 28 years. And at this point, I said, hey, that math is a little off, because this film takes place in 1967. Mm -hmm. World War II ended in 1945. Uh, during that time, I'm pretty sure that they were not friendly to uh, British people. <laughs> um, so it is unlikely that he has been operating there with any, uh, any real, you know, maneuverability, any ability to get anything other than the prison food is garbage. Yeah. Um, so he is then, uh, stabbed to death in the most peaceful way possible. Usually when someone's dad, uh, stabbed to death in a movie of this time or any other time, there's usually an, oh, or, <laughs> or anything that denotes I've been stabbed, yeah. but he dies more peacefully than Rose at the end of Titanic. I'm sorry <laughs> I spoiled Titanic. The lady dies. <laughs> um, and so does Mr. Henderson uh, by being stabbed to death by a ninja. Uh, so Bond uh, realizes that the attacker is stabbed through the paper wall. Oh, by the way, don't stand by paper walls. Uh, you're asking for her. Um, <laughs> Uh, Bond kills the attacker and uh, steals the attacker's identity uh, in order that he might uh, get back to the base of the greater organization. Mm -hmm. All right, I promised you that it would come back. Bond is a foot and a half taller <laughs> than put, anyone in this movie. And he puts on the clothes of he another guy. He <laughs> puts on the clothes of a man who is generously five and a half feet tall. And they fit him perfectly. His shoes, <laughs> coat, hat, and mask fit him like a glove. I don't think so. Anyhow, moving on. <laughs> so at this point, henchman number two helps uh, the man who is miraculously grown eight inches. <laughs> uh, and his toes are bursting forth from the shoes. Helps him into the car uh, because he's wearing a small face mask. Uh, never mind the fact that his hair uh, looks nothing like his hair looked a few uh -huh. minutes ago. Anyhow, uh, they are taken back to the headquarters of uh, evil, 
uh, come to find out it's just a chemical factory. Uh, and he goes in and they proceed to have a really cool fight in which Sean Connery uses a couch like a club. <laughs> yeah. And I have to tell you, that's how I want to use every couch as a club. Yeah, just pick up on one end and like, how much do those couches weigh? They're like next to nothing the way he was using it. They're from Ikea. They're Swedish. They're Swedish. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, after killing the henchman, he steals a drink and complains because it's Siamese vodka, which is apparently not as good as regular vodka, but it all <laughs> tastes like rubbing alcohol, so who cares? <laughs> At this point, uh, Bond decides to break into a safe. Um, we get some suspense built as people are walking down the hall, and it's like, oh, they're coming close, they're coming close, and then they walk away, and we're like, whew, and then as soon as he opens the safe, the alarm sounds anyway, and yeah. I'm like, okay, you... Uh, at this point, uh, Bond tricks the guys into coming into the room with the steel door uh, and sneaks out behind them yeah. and locks the steel door. And they're trapped, except for the paper wall that is right by the steel door. And Bond was trapped in that room before then and still did not go through those paper walls. I can understand Bond because he's trying to keep a low profile true. That is true. and sneak out okay, of Okay, I didn't think about that. The one time, second time actually, this is the most subtlety James Bond has ever used in a film, is twice. Um, <laughs> but he goes to sneak out the door, and the two men who have worked in this building for years know that these walls are paper. Yeah. Go, oh no, we're trapped. We've got to override the steel door. And proceed to take 20 seconds to open the steel door <laughs> instead of bursting through the paper wall like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. I digress. Back to the story. So, waiting outside is the same woman who took Bond to Mr. Henderson's office. Uh, he is driven to a uh, he is driven to a train tunnel uh, where Aki runs away because Bond is threatening her. Uh, at this point, uh, she runs to the end of the hall and then she turns around and just stares at him. And, just stares at him. and Bond, because he is as dumb as a bag of hammers, proceeds to walk down the hallway. Yeah, he doesn't think there's a trap or something? Like He is a moron. Anyhow, <laughs> he falls down a slide into the waiting arms of, you're gonna have to wait for a transition because we're approaching the end of how much time we can record without using a special program. We'll be right back. rinse my mouth out because my uh, <laughs> fearless wife told me that my breath was bad. Uh, right. We're back. I, uh, I wanted to wait until I didn't want to have Audience, can you tell a difference? <laughs> Is it better? I think right. it's a lot better. So. Okay. So, Bond falls down the slide out of the tunnel into the waiting uh, comfy chair of Tiger Tanaka. Uh, Tiger Tanaka is going to be our mentor uh, ally character in this film. 
uh, he's kind of an underworld slash spy ring boss. It's never clearly defined who he is, okay. uh, other than the fact that he runs a um, a set of people in the espionage realm. Uh, ninjas has a small army. Again, it's not very clearly defined who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that he's very powerful and he's just as much of a chauvinist as Bond. Um, <laughs> at this point, we find that the items that James Bond stole from the safe uh, were some receipts, uh, some paperwork, and some microfilm. Um, the receipts showed some uh, items that sound almost like a shopping list, although it could be euphemisms for chemicals. And we find a microfilm that shows a ship, uh, a shoreline, and some diving girls. Uh, they're looking to figure out uh, what this place is, and Tiger sets his organization on figuring out what that is. But we'll have to come back to that. At this point, uh, Bond is bathed and massaged uh, by uh, women in bathing suits in uh, a big, uh, like... Bathhouse? It's like a bathhouse. Um uh, Tiger shares with us that in Japan, uh, men come first and women come second because, you know, sex jokes. Um, <laughs> and you just got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, that's how creative these guys are. They're so smart. They're so <laughs> smart. sixties. Uh, Anyhow, um, <laughs> At this point, uh, Bond is told that uh, he can pick the girl who will give him the massage um, like he's picking an item from a buffet. Uh, And when Bond makes his choice, uh, Tiger says that she is very sexiful. Uh, (laughs) Tiger is uh, dubbed through this entire film, except the one or two times that he speaks Japanese and that it is a dramatically different voice. Yeah. Uh, He speaks with a... R- loud, booming voice, and then when he speaks Japanese, it's right up there. That wasn't Japanese; that was gibberish. Just so you know, um, not Japanese at all. Anyhow, um, at this point, uh, Bond returns to Sato Industries the next day, uh, pretending to be a Mister Fisher. Sato, the head of the organization, knows that this man is trouble and orders him killed. Aki comes in and rescues Bond, uh, and they are chased by gunmen in a black car. Uh, the gunmen are then grabbed by a magnetic uh, a magnetic arm on a helicopter and dumped in the ocean. At this point, it's funny because uh, Bond, on a monitor in his car, sees the helicopter picking the men up by who's filming? Another helicopter? I'm, we I'm, don't see it. It's yeah, weird. <laughs> it's an aerial view of this there above the. It's a shot above the other helicopter. It is a shot of the helicopter picking up the car, yeah. not the arm at the bottom. Right. It's but, from above the helicopter. Yes. Apparently, uh, Tiger is like, "All right, guys. Now your mission is to go, and you're going to go and rescue Bot. You're going to pick him up with." Uh, with this magnetic arm, just like you're in a in a junkyard, all right? And they're like, yeah, that's straightforward. We got it. We know. Uh, Aki will tell us which one. Yeah, Aki will point out the car. That's cha- they'll be the ones chasing Aki and Bob. All right, you good? Awesome. All right, Jeff. 
um, because Jeff's a good Japanese name. Jeff, <laughs> I want you to use the medium wide angle, uh, and I need you to get above Joe. Okay, I need you to get above him. Now I know that that might be problematic uh, because you're trying to sneak up on this car. Um, so I need you. I need you to be just right there, right on top of him. And I need you to get a great angle because we need to not only see their their faces as they're hanging out of the car freaking out, uh -huh. but we need to see the helicopter to show just how awesome we were at grabbing this. <laughs> now, not only that, you need to also use the broadcasting equipment yeah, to send this to everybody in the area because private video streaming does not exist right. yet. So, so people, feed, but... people at home are going to be watching Sesame Street on PBS, and they're going to try to figure out what in the world is happening. <laughs> yes, it's ridiculous that the movie falls apart many times, but it's fun. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, at this point, uh, you would think Bond's safe, but no, they go to the docks to see this ship, and Bond is captured again. Bond gets captured a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And Aki saves them how many times? Aki is cool. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a shame what happens to her. Yes. Yeah, she sleeps with Bond. That's terrible. <laughs> Anyhow, um, uh, Bond is captured at the docks. We get a really cool uh, helicopter shot of uh, a roof-long uh, fight scene. And it seems pedestrian today uh, because filmmaking has come a long way uh, in the past 50 years. Um, but this, uh, it's... It's one of the first of its kind, and it works really well. Um, at the end, uh, Bond is captured by a bunch of uh, dock workers, including one who is wearing the short shorts <laughs> and a cut-up shirt. Uh, it It's funny. Uh, it's yeah. out of place. You have a bunch of guys who are in coveralls and overalls and, and look like I dock mean, and workers. And there were a few guys in shorts, but they were regular-length shorts. This guy apparently forgot his uniform and had to wear someone they else's. They were, like, super short. And then, the, like you said, his cut-up shirt in the front, it was tied like how a woman would tie a button-up shirt at the bottom. It's like he forgot his <laughs> uniform and had to wear his sister's. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. distracting. Anyhow, um... So, uh, at this point, um, a character that I forgot to write down her name, and so I just called her Knockoff Fiona Volpe from the last movie. Um, <laughs> uh, she comes in and interrogates Bond. He lies to her and sleeps with her, because that's what James Bond does. Yeah. Um, and he just looks so disinterested. He would be a lot more interested if she was a bottle of vodka. Uh, <laughs> at this point, uh, she takes him on a plane ride for some reason uh, and uh, puts a board across his lap because boards are escape proof um, <laughs> and then jumps out of the plane um, with a parachute. And at that point I would be asking the question, where did you get the parachute? When did you put the parachute on? Yeah. I might've asked the question as she was getting in, Hey, why are you wearing a parachute? And she'd be like, Hey, don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, but he lands the plane and runs away right as it explodes. All right. At this point, James Bond knows that, all right, I need to do some snooping. They found out that there's a general vicinity uh, that this boat was in. Uh, it's a volcanic region, but they don't know anything else. They know the area. They know that it's a little suspicious. They know that Sato and his people have been operating out of here, but they don't know what. So Bond decides to go do uh, some 
reconnaissance with the most obvious helicopter, uh, gyrocopter, pardon me, uh, available, Little Nelly. Uh, we're introduced to this cute little thing that looks like a go-kart with helicopter rotors. My thought on that after they put it together and they said, are you sure you don't want a real helicopter? This is for like, this is like a kid's toy. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking like, that's a kid's toy. It's like something that flies in the air. It's a real thing. Yes. Like that was just what, <laughs> like they're saying it's a kid's toy. Oh, in Japan. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all I know is that uh, that thing really worked. They really flew mm -hmm. that, and they did a ton of aerial stunt work. Uh, the scene that follows where Bond is taking pictures and then is uh, tracked by a group of helicopters to totally give away the fact that, hey, bad guys operate in this area, uh, is actually a really cool action scene. Uh, helicopter scenes are tough um, because they are very, very dangerous uh, in order to film them convincingly. Uh, it requires... Uh, there's some trickery that you have to use. Anytime a helicopter blows up, you have to do a miniature or it has to be on the ground uh, or dropped from a, a certain height. It can't be in the air when it blows up. Right. Um, so you have to do all sorts of editing uh, as far as maneuvers to make it look visceral. You have to maneuver a certain way. Helicopter uh, stunts are so dangerous uh, that insurance is ridiculous. Uh, in the 1984 film, uh, The Twilight Zone, the movie, um, a scene was shot but not put on film in which uh, three of the actors in that film were killed oh, wow. uh, because an explosion went off too close uh, and ended up uh, instantly killing uh, three of the actors in the, in the movie. Uh, helicopters are no joke. So the fact that they were able to pull off a scene of this scale is really impressive. Um, at this point, let's see here. Uh, another Russian spacecraft is taken in space. Um, at this point, we get to see the villain's point of view. What's going on with them? Uh, and... We are introduced to the volcano set in this movie. Uh, feels like it'd be right at home in The Incredibles. Uh, and this set alone was the uh, shooting budget of the entire first film, Dr. No. It is $1 million just for this set alone. Uh, and it's worth every penny. It's a beautiful set. It's awesome. It's big. It's villainous. It's ominous. Uh, the Russian spacecraft is taken back to this place. Uh, Blofeld... Uh, does what he will do uh, at least one more time in this film uh, and kills not the person he's yelling at, but the person right next to them, uh, knock off Fiona Volpe. Um, because she and Sato didn't know that James Bond uh, was alive. Even though knock off Fiona Volpe says, he's dead, we saw it in the newspapers. The same newspapers that had his picture. Yes. Gosh, Fiona, no wonder you got fed to piranhas. Anyhow, <laughs> at this point, we go back to Tanaka's ninja training school. Um, and James Bond is told, you must become Japanese. Uh, now, a little background on the book that this movie is based on. In the book, uh, James Bond is actually surgically altered to appear Japanese. Uh, it's not just him with a bad bowl cut and some <laughs> fake uh, eyebrows. Uh and slouching because he's tall. Um, this is actually, he is physically altered everything from his skin to his eyes, everything to where he actually appears to be from all physical appearance, Japanese. Mm -hmm. 
Um, not some cheap makeup. Anyhow, um, at this point, he is told he's going to have to marry someone and uh, to pose as newlyweds uh, in the area they're going to be investigating. He wants Aki, but Tanaka tells him, no, we've actually got someone from the region who will be a good cover wife. Uh, so Bond, after he's uh, got George Lopez's haircut, uh, goes and sleeps with Aki. Um, but while they are actually sleeping, um, they are attacked by an assassin in an iconic scene uh, that is later duplicated in the film Gross Point Blank, where an assassin lowers a thread through the ceiling of the house that they are sleeping in uh, and poison is dripped down. Uh, the poison drips onto Aki's mouth. Um, and as she wakes from sleep, uh, starting to have what appears to be a heart attack, Bond kills the assassin, tries to save Aki, but it is too late. So, and the poison was meant for Bond. Yes. But he rolled over. Yes. In his sleep, and she rolled into the position. <laughs> yes. Um, in gross point blank, spoilers for the opening of that movie, when uh, John Cusack tries to do the same thing, uh, the person he's trying to assassinate is asleep and snoring and snorts really quick and the glob of poison lands on their forehead. <laughs> nice. So uh, in the two movies I've seen, uh, not an effective form of assassination, but it looks cool. Um, at this point, uh, we are told that Bond ha has two more days of training. Uh, he goes and uh, is fighting a guy and the guy uh, disarms Bond and then puts Ow. out a, a Bobby puts out a spear on the staff that he's fighting with, which Bond steals and then stabs the guy to death. Uh, never mind, it could have just been an accident, but Bond straight up murders the guy. Yeah. Uh, we are then told to excuse Bond's murder of this guy. Well, I didn't know him. Uh, at this point, James Bond uh, gets married um, again. Uh, six foot two, six foot three guy in a crowd of people who at the tallest are five foot eight. Um, so he's totally blending in. We, <laughs> we learned that the launch of the uh, next American spacecraft has been moved up. Um, and more than likely uh, the bad guys are going to steal that. We discovered the general area that the volcano base uh, is existing. Uh, movie starts moving faster here and my notes, uh, slow down. Uh, so Bond sneaks in and is captured because again, he is six foot three <laughs> posing as someone who is probably five, eight. Um, at this point we are introduced, uh, and by name to the number one behind Spectre for the past few films, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is the faceless man who has been driving the organization out to kill Bond. Um, he's introduced in this film and in the next film. And I will give a little background on that shortly. But uh, here Bond is captured and escapes multiple times. Um, Bond uses the uh, cigarette rocket to kill a henchman, even though Blofeld is right across the room from him. Yeah. Uh, and could have saved himself a great deal of issues. It seemed like a random henchman, too. Yes. Like it was just somebody else there, not anybody near. Uh, Bond opens up the cover of the volcano base and uh, 
Tanaka's ninja army comes in. There's a massive ninja versus specter battle. Um, some really cool stuff. A really good, uh, really good battle. Uh, I told Betsy while we were watching this, it's interesting to watch older movies when you have uh, battles between armies because we didn't have computer imagery to cheat. Uh, so if you had two armies fighting, you had to get a lot of people together and get them to do actions that were convincing as fighting. Yeah. And so this is actually a really cool uh, battle. Uh, a lot of neat stuff. Some duplicated shots that you can see in there yeah. because they're using different angles to make it seem like more is happening. But overall, pretty good. Uh, at the end of this, uh, again, Blofeld kills Sato when he's threatening Bond. Why? I don't know. I think he just didn't like him. Um, but at which point, uh, another close call for Bond because, again... James Bond is good at getting captured. Yeah. Um, Bond is saved at the last minute by a tiger who throws a throwing star. Uh, everything is going great for the ninjas and Bond. And then Blofeld decides to Blofeld up his base. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my joke. Not the writers of this movie. We are equally smart. Um <laughs> Uh, at this point, we're treated to a really crummy visual effect of the volcano erupting. I guess they couldn't get footage of that volcano erupting, so they, like, uh, spliced together footage of a few things. It is not a good effect, um, which is sad because the visuals in this movie are really good otherwise. Um, at this point, uh, planes fly over and drop uh, tons and tons of... Uh, life rafts meant for eight people and we see guys piling into him except Bond and his wife's uh, life raft yeah. uh, in which just the two of them get in there yeah. because Bond is a pig. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as they are about to get intimate a submarine uh, emerges under them or I should say submerges in reverse under them <laughs> uh, and uh, at this point we realize that Money Punny and M are in the submarine underneath, and I hope Bond realizes that there's a submarine under him. Otherwise, it's going to be embarrassing in about 30 seconds. <laughs> so that's how this film ends. Uh, we're then told that James Bond will return in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And at this point, the plot of the movie is done, but I have some fun facts that I will talk about in just a moment. So wrapping up for this thing, just some fun or just interesting to me uh, facts about this movie. Uh, this is the last time that Sean Connery thought that he would be James Bond. Um, so he had had a falling out with the producers of the films um, up to this point. He had, over the course of the previous four movies, gotten more and more and more agitated Um to the point where when he first started with the first one or two movies, he was enjoying himself, uh, even friendly towards the producers. By the time Goldfinger comes around, he's starting to feel some resentment uh, and some issues. Uh, by Thunderball, he is uh, irritable, disgruntled. 
Uh, by this movie, there's literally a, a story on the documentary, Everything or Nothing, where Sean Connery's on the set shooting a scene uh, and uh, Cubby Broccoli walks onto the set and Sean Connery stops and freezes the scene and refuses to work while Cubby Broccoli's there. Wow. Um, also, uh, on this set in Japan, uh, at this point, James Bond uh, as a property was one of the world's largest IPs. And uh, in Japan, he got mobbed by uh, fans regularly. Mm, and that'd be tough. it just, he felt like he was being torn in into pieces. And so, uh, and it's, it's very difficult in Japan to hide someone of Sean Connery's stature at right. the time. Uh, so it's, on multiple fronts, he he is ready to be done. Um, and there are a couple moments in this film where you get these uh, micro expressions uh, from Sean Connery that he just does not want to be there. Um, for the character it, who's usually disinterested, it kind of works. It's not too distracting. Right. Um, but he he definitely was ready to be done. He actually had one more film in his contract and they released him from his contract. If he didn't want to be there, if, it, if he was going to make it difficult, they didn't want him. Yeah. Um, and so after this movie, they are looking for another James Bond. Um, and next week we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, another fun story. Cats are fighting. Cats decided to get crazy. All right. Um, Back, back to, to my thought. Over. All right. Uh, so this uh, story uh, that informed this movie is actually the third book in what is known as the Spectre Trilogy. Um, the Spectre Trilogy is three books by Ian Fleming, who is long dead at this point in history. Um, uh, another fun fact before I come back to it. Uh Roe Dahl, who was a good friend of Ian Fleming, actually wrote the screenplay for this. Uh, Roe Dahl actually um, wrote the book Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which Ian Fleming wrote the screenplay for. Huh. Little fun story there. Anyway, back back to the original thought, because I interrupt myself a lot. Um, this movie is based on the third book in a trilogy. So the trilogy is Thunderball. Uh, which we talked about last week without watching it. Um, then On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which we're going to talk about next week, and then You Only Live Twice. So in the first book, uh, Spectre is kind of the shadow organization. Uh, Bond figures out it exists, but doesn't know anything about it. Um, in the sequel, uh, Bond actually meets the head of the organization, uh, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Next week, when we talk about uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, it's going to be weird that Blofeld comes back up, played by a different actor, as James Bond is played by a different actor, but they talk to each other like they've never met. Huh. Um, and that's because of the book that it's based on. Um, but in the book, uh, at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, someone very close to James Bond is murdered. Mm -hmm. And that leads directly into You Only Live Twice. And You Only Live Twice is a revenge tale. And it's the story of how James Bond is tracking down the murderer of uh, this loved one. And he tracks them down. And at the end of the book, uh, 
it's Blofeld and one of Blofeld's henchmen or henchwomen, hench people. <laughs> I don't know what the politically correct term is. Anyhow, a uh, hench person um, tracks them down to a castle in Japan uh, and actually murders them uh, with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. In the process, Bond is injured uh, and loses his memory. Um, now, the story bears some similar similarities to this film in that Bond went undercover, uh, was surgically altered mm-hmm. to appear Japanese. Um, and was uh, married in what may or may not be a legitimate ceremony. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Um, but at the end of the story, the woman that James Bond marries takes him into her home and lies to him and pretends that, yes, they really are married. Mm-hmm. And he lives there for like three months in that state uh, until she eventually tells him the truth and he goes back to the service. <laughs> the book ends on kind of an ambiguous note of whether or not she is pregnant with James Bond's child. Mm. Uh, and so uh, very different between the book and the, and the movie, but uh, some interesting differences there. Uh, uh, just for the record, if you decide to read the, the books uh, that the movies are based on, uh, they are no less uh, racist or uh, sexist or homophobic. <laughs> uh, they are every bit as much as the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this this is one, so far I think this is, is my favorite of the Bond movies we've seen um, because it gets to more of the action without the fluff. Um, well, this is the cat. <laughs> yes watch if you decide to watch this movie watch the cat there are some scenes where the cat is having the time of his life and there are other scenes where the cat is supposed to be calm and it's oh. flipping the freak out he is just like he <laughs> wants to be anywhere but there that actor had to have some deep slashes in his arms that was hilarious oh absolutely um but this was a fun one. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week. Next week is the lone uh, George Lazenby uh, James Bond film. We'll talk a bit about that uh, at that time. But I'm looking forward to it. It's it's one that I watched not too long ago and enjoyed. Um, there's a little bit more filler in my mind than this film. Um, and uh, just I'll tell you up front, Lazenby's not a great actor. Yeah. Um, but it's... It's really interesting. I, in my mind, it's one of the better James Bond old films. Uh, and so uh, it's it's going to be interesting. So, guys, thanks for swinging by. Thanks for listening to our favorite things. Uh, hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you around. Bye.